So welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast, the podcast for ISOs and MLSs who want to grow their portfolios and make money. Absolutely. So uh, I have to do a little plug for my questions at the end because I talk about holding 1099 agents accountable without holding them accountable. Oh, yes. A a uh, tricky topic. A tricky topic indeed. But we also have some really interesting insights on... um, on mobile, my insider's report on right, mobile. Right, mobile payments. And uh, I think we had a really excellent interview with uh, Corey from Wompley. Yeah, Wompley is just, you know, if you don't know what Wompley is and how they collect data from uh, payments, um, you have to listen to this interview. Oh, you'll but, learn a lot. Yeah, you know, and, and I love how they've taken something where, you know, so many tools out there will analyze data, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't collect data very well. No. You got to key it all in. You know, this is like well, a turnkey system. To, exactly, right? And right. that's what I love about this is a turnkey system and yep. it can do so much. You really can. Yeah, that's Not awesome. Not just for the ISOs and the MLSs. But the merchants, the merchants well. exactly giving okay. them giving them value and not having to sell just strictly on price. Exactly. Well, you know, let's jump right into that interview with Corey. Okay. Okay. Um, we're we're here today with uh, Corey Capocha of uh, Wompley. Uh, Corey, welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Um, I was hoping I was instead of me giving everybody uh, the the thumbnail sketch, I was hoping perhaps you could give us a little background on Wompley and sort of your your path to merchant services. Yeah, and, and Patty, thank you so much for having me on. I'm happy to do it and, and appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to chat here. Um, so uh, just for, for everyone's uh, background here, my name is Corey Kabocha. I'm the president of a company called Wompley. Um, Wompley is a company that's been in the payments industry for quite some time now. Um, we're a, a software company, um, really technically a SaaS company, which is software as a service. And our business is focused on providing software to small businesses uh, across America. Um, We are focused on helping them run what we refer to as their front office. So it's all the customer-facing components of their businesses. And we're doing that for uh, literally hundreds of thousands of small businesses across all 50 states uh, and spanning 400 different categories. Uh, one of the really neat things and, and you know, where the crossover is with the payments industry is that uh, we leverage lots of different data to power our front office software for small businesses. Uh, some of that data is transaction data, um, and this is where the tie-in is within mm-hmm. the payments industry. Sure. Um, we also pull in a bunch of other data sources like online reputation data uh, for millions of businesses all over America. And so as a result, um, you know, that's given us this incredible view of uh, consumer spending trends on Main Street, um, you know, all across America. Uh, and so we've, you know, done this through partnership um, with about 50 different uh, merchant acquirers and credit card processors, so all the way down from, you know, top-level financial institutions to ISOs and, and sales agents working with them to help, you know, really modernize the way that they think about uh, selling credit card processing and, you know, switch into kind of the consultative value-add sale from, you know, what had traditionally been a, a very narrowly focused uh, conversation, mm-hmm. uh, purely around the utility of credit card processing and, and you know, more of a cost-based conversation. Right. Let me just, 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 I'm just curious, Corey, is your background uh, more in, with small businesses, with, with, with the merchant uh, acquiring space? I'm just curious sort of how, how your path got you to, 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 to to identify this need? It's a great question. And, and I think like most uh, people that are in the payments industry, um, I didn't set out when I was a little kid saying I'm going to be a, you know, in the payments industry by right. any means. Um, right. I, I, I tripped and, and fell into the payments industry kind of backwards coming out of college. And uh, really my, my entry point to the industry was through uh, a former company, uh, which I helped build up as part of the founding team uh, that's called Verify based in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And um, I, I switched from a path of going down, you know, working for one of the big four accounting and consulting firms uh, into a startup company. And, you know, Verify was a startup company at the time that um, I crossed paths with the team there and we started building it up. And what that gave me was this incredible view into, you know, the power of the payments industry mm-hmm. and really an appreciation of, you know, how a relatively small number of people and companies are responsible for, you know, moving the transactions around the world and you know, making that ecosystem work. So uh, that's where I really cut my teeth in the, the payments industry. Uh, we focus on a very different segment 
of the market. So I actually did not get exposure to small businesses in my okay. company. Um, and so, you know, Wampley has been my first entry point into the small business, um, you know, side of, of payment processing. But I would imagine, of course, that some of what you were doing with, with other companies, I mean, obviously has application. I would, you know, I, I, I see that as sort of, as, as sort of the path, right? I think that's um, spot on. You know, if you think about uh, payment processing in general, you know, what what I um, experienced early on was uh, just how much uh, value opportunity there is or value creation opportunity there is on top of the payment processing value chain. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been these great, you know, rails that have been put in place that have been the foundation of electronic payment processing, you know, for years and years and years, but they're there really hasn't been uh, a lot of innovation or hadn't been a lot of innovation until, you know, call it 15 years ago or so where we started to see some, you know, new and interesting ways to transact. You know, previously it was the same rails, a little bit of a different spin on the plastic card that you would, uh, you know, dip or swipe with the, uh, you know, acceptance area. Um, But, you know, other than that, there there really weren't these uh, different changes to uh, how do you innovate in terms of the payment processing. And I think you've seen this explosion recently where, you know, everyone's acknowledged that the utility of accepting credit card payments is not, you know, really anything that's unique. Um, You know, there's lots of different options to run a transaction to connect the dots. But um, really where the opportunity is is to make, you know, that transaction processing more efficient, um, to make it even more invisible to the consumer and the business um, that are transacting. And then, you know, I think longer term to figure out ways to go, you know, where the transactions should be occurring but aren't occurring today and, you know, really create new, you know, incremental um, accretive transaction processing opportunities, um, you know, as opposed to just, you know, the tug of war on, you know, fighting over the turf of, you know, that countertop space where, you know, there's already uh, been a ton of competition around just, you know, who can run that transaction. You know, the differentiation is going to come from who can figure out how to transact around that experience and create more value there. Right. And I think that kind of, that segues well into what I wanted to, one of the topics I wanted to touch on, which was merchant attrition. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, attrition's a big issue in this business as it is in, in many business lines. I'm wondering, what would you, what do you consider to be the key variables um, that contribute to attrition, and how can ISOs and MLSs best uh, address these variables? What can they do? Yeah, I think fundamentally, um, you know, the biggest challenge I see is, and, and I'll reference something that maybe a lot of people won't won't necessarily key off of, but uh, if anyone recalls the comedian Tom Green, I'll, I'll never forget a skit that he put together, uh, which was called Undercutter's Pizza. And literally the, <laughs> the entire premise of it was, he would uh, shadow another, you know, Domino's or Pizza Hut delivery right. person. Um, he had a tackle box in his car and a pizza with just, you know, a base of cheese on it. And he would literally walk behind them as they went up to deliver a pizza. And he would introduce himself as soon as the door opened and said, you know, I'm, I'm Tom from Undercutter's Pizza. Um, what did you order with them? Uh, I'm going to give you that same thing. I've got all the toppings in my tackle box, and I'm going to give you, you know, that for what, what were they going to charge? Oh, seven dollars. I'll give it to you for six, you know, seventy-two. And you know, that was the entire premise of of the skit. But you know, it's something that is funny um, in, in that sense. But if you think about it, that's really exactly what's been happening in for years. Uh, the merchant processing industry yeah. for years. It has. Right. It's been. You know, just a, a constant wave of people knocking on the door of the same businesses. You know, there's a finite number of businesses that accept credit card payments, you know, both in the uh, the card present space as well as in the online world. Right. Um, you know, we're all knocking on the doors. Um, everyone's, you know, trying to come in and say, hey, I can save you a little bit of money. But other than that, you know, there's not a lot of differentiation in why you would work with me over anyone else. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's really what's driven these huge attrition rates. There's, you know, very low switching costs. Um, right. You know, uh, I think the industry started to react to this more, you know, recently and put some strategies in place. But in general, you know, most businesses, they view payment acceptance and payment processing as kind of a necessary evil to run their business. A utility, and sure. They don't, yeah, and they, and they don't look at it as an opportunity for growth. Mm. Um, and, and I think mm-hmm. that's really where, you know, the opportunity lies for, you know, these merchant-level salespeople, ISOs, you know, agents who are out there working on signing up more merchant accounts, um, you know, they need to look not only at how do I get more customers in the door, which is expensive, you know, the acquisition costs sure. are high, but they also need to look at what can I be doing to fundamentally shift how I think about payment processing and how I, you know, shift into more of the consultative type of conversation 
with those businesses around the value I can add, um, you know, aside from kind of the, you know, table stakes that are just credit card acceptance or payment acceptance today. Um, and I, I think that's where, you know, I'd love to spend a little bit more time with you talking about, you know, how uh, merchant level sales uh, people and, and ISOs and agents can make that shift successfully. Yeah. And as a result, they'll have stickier relationships with their, you know, their end customer. They'll grow their portfolio because they're not just, you know, having all these leaky buckets at the, the bottom. Um, and as a result, I think they're going to you know, be able to expand their business even more because they'll start to see that, you know, offering this uniqueness will not only protect the base that they've acquired, but it's going to help them differentiate on the front end of the conversation and, you know, get them in a spot where they can win more of those conversations. And, and that's something where, you know, Wampley's role within the payments industry uh, has really, you know, helped reinforce that and, and kind of shift that, that message from that undercutter model into more of a, a value-add consultative sale. So is, is, is it more, is it about data? Is that, is it about data? Is it about services? What, what, what is it that, um, that, you know, what's the shift that, that ISOs and, and agents need to be making? Yeah. And, and I think you're right. It's all of the above. Um, mm-hmm. so they need to not only think about, uh, you know, the fact that there is a lot of value in the data that runs through the merchant accounts that they are you know, providing to their customers um, but they they need to help those businesses, you know, unlock the value of that data, and by using you know that data to their advantage, uh, you know, now their customer is going to be able to attract more customers because they're going to understand their customers better. Uh, they're going to be able to then increase revenue. They're going to be able to keep those consumers longer coming into their business and, and transacting with them because they can more intelligently engage with them and remarket to them. And overall, they're going to be able to save time, uh, which is you know a huge part of the value proposition. You know, If you can give your customers back time, but at the same time help them protect the business they've built and grow that business further, you know, you're going to be a hero in their books. And, and that's where it's really important to you know, establish yourself as that, that consultant um, to your, your customers where it really will make them think twice about switching to someone else. And, you know, the, the challenge with this is the attrition rates are huge in the industry still. Um, you know, we've done uh, research where we've seen that uh, individuals uh, or you know, merchant-level salespeople, ISOs, processors that have partnered with Wampley um, have been quite successful in reducing their attrition rates because, you know, their customers at the end of the day, the merchant, is realizing that there's more value that they're getting than just the utility of credit card acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen, you know, savings in attrition rates of, you know, 17% on average, which is, you know, for partners of different sizes, we've kind of averaged it out, but we're saving about wow. $2.5 million in, in wow. you know, actual profit and revenue for them, you know, with some, you know, seeing savings more than $6 million. And, you know, it does come back to we're helping, you know, make that utility of credit card acceptance more valuable to their end customer, which is, you know, in turn making that a stickier relationship for uh, the merchant acquirer. Corey, one, one thing I wanted to jump in and ask you. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Wampley. I like what you guys are doing. And I think, you know, when you kind of zoom out, you've talked about it, alluded to it a little bit, but it is the data. You know, and so the the big value is, you know, in payment processing and even, you know, even uh, uh, Dorsey, you know, uh, Square CEO has talked about how they're not a payment processing company. They're a data company, you know, basically. And, you know, they're looking at the data. So help some of these merchant level salespeople and smaller ISOs understand if you could give us maybe an example of I'm a pizza shop or I'm a hair salon or one of these, you know, uh, small businesses and I get Wompley. How exactly is that going to work? What am I going to get from Wampley? What data am I going to get? And how is it actionable to help me grow my business and, and add more value to what I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I appreciate you um, digging in deeper on that. The, you know, the high level you need to start out with it is um, let's understand just kind of what, what Wampley's value proposition is and what sure. we're bringing to the table um, you know, globally, and then we can translate that into the merchant-level salesperson, the sure. ISO, and then how they talk to, you know, that end customer to impact it for them. So um, at, at the highest level, uh, the, the asset that Wampley has built up over the years is a database, um, which we refer to called the Wampley Commerce Graph. And that's comprised of, you know, call it about 10 million business profiles that we've gone out and we've identified exist all across the U.S. in every different category, um, where we're already tracking the activities of those businesses. Um, we're looking at, you know, where do they exist online? What's their online presence? What's the activity there? Um, you know, we've got transaction data on a large number of those businesses as well, so we can see what the health of those businesses are. 
And then on the other side, we've also built out uh, uh, consumer profiles. Um, so we've got a couple hundred million consumer profiles. And what's you know really powerful about this is now we've got you know 10 million businesses on one end, we've got a couple hundred million consumer profiles on the other. And we're able to append you know, all of those and connect the dots between them so we can watch the interactions between those consumers and the businesses across the entire platform. So you know, looking at that as you know, kind of the, the high-level um, picture gives you uh, a really clear understanding of how we're able to then translate that into you know, the uh, American small business owner and helping them understand who their customers are better. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, Dorsey and and, uh, what they're doing at Square. Uh, To give you a sense of scale, the data that Wombly has seen uh, from a dollar of, you know, processing volume or economic activity is actually larger than Amazon, than eBay, than Stripe, than Square. So there's a huge amount of data that we're processing to understand those connections. And as we understand those connections, what we can then do is translate that into actions for that uh, end customer being the business owner. So we can help them figure out and answer questions like, how is my business doing? How does that compare to how I performed maybe last week, last month, last year? But then more importantly, how does that compare to my peer group? Mm-hmm. You know, how does that actually um, you know, stack up compared to, through using the pizza shop, the other pizza shops around the corner from me? You know, am, I, am I getting fewer new customers into my business than they are? Um, am I, you know, is my average ticket lower than what we're seeing in pizza shops in my neighborhood? Well, maybe I need to revisit what my pricing is. Sure. You know, those are all actions that what, I can What about, dem- what about demographics, Corey? Don't you guys also have some demographic information there as well? We, we do, yeah. And so that, that's really the next level is we're looking at the individual business level, how they're performing. Right. The next level is, okay, I need to better understand my customers and my consumers. So where are they coming from when they spend in my business? Where else are they spending? Which zip codes are they spending in? Which categories are they spending in? So I can better understand those customers. And then, and you um, can you also. Know, it, I'm sorry. I'm just wondering when you say okay. what are you know where are they spending? Can does it also give you an indication of how much they're spending? So we, we do have that visibility. Um, uh, so yeah. at, at Wampley's level, we can we can understand you know for a given customer that's gone into a pizza shop, mm-hmm. you know how much are they spending in other businesses around that pizza shop? Okay. Which categories of business are they spending in? And mm-hmm. we can quantify that. So from you know what that enables us to do then is help that you know that pizza owner understand who are their customers, what is the you know the, what are the characteristics of those customers. And then most importantly, we bridge probably one of the biggest gaps that small business owners face, which is they don't know who their customers are. They have no way of understanding how valuable they are other than seeing the familiar faces that come through. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they also do not have the ability to communicate with those customers. And you know what we've done now is we've taken kind of the macro view of how is your business doing relative to other businesses. We've connected that down to the demographics of here's the characteristics of your customers. But then we're taking it a step further where we're giving a CRM uh, to every one of the businesses that use our software where they can literally see, you know, here are my top customers. You know, Patty uh-huh. might be my third best customer. Uh-huh. James, you might be my 11th best customer. You're a brand new customer, though, so it's maybe only your third visit, um, but you're already spending more on average. And then uh, we can take the work off of the business owner's shoulders where um, they don't need to worry about, well, what kind of you know, email message would I send to Patty, who's been a longtime you know, loyal customer, versus James, who's a, a new customer. And Wompley's customer engagement platform, leveraging the CRM, will automatically send those messages out to you to say, Patty, thanks for you know, being a loyal customer. Come back in another time. We've got an incentive for you. Or James, you know, we're really uh, excited that you're a new customer. Um, come back in again. We want to see you, you know, become more of a repeat visitor. And so, you know, it's that experience now when I was kind of talking about earlier where we're shifting towards, you know, how do we connect and make that experience between the end consumer and the business tighter and start to go to where transactions aren't occurring to drive, you know, that, that increased transaction activity that's going to be for the benefit of everyone in the payments ecosystem and, you know, ultimately killing cash and focusing on, you know, using credit cards as, as a better form of payment that, you know, establish or make that relationship much tighter between the business and their customer. With the card being sort of the linchpin of that relationship, I guess, is what you're saying, right? Because it's the data is being tied into that. 
Um, so that's really interesting because I was really curious about the actionability part of it. So, right, and you know, one of, one of the other things I thought of too when you were talking, Corey, and I don't know if this is anything you guys have on the road, you know, roadmap or anything, but whether you do or not, I mean, if I'm a if I'm a pizza shop owner, uh, or well, let's let's use another example. Let's say that I sell women's clothing, and um, through Wompley, I discover that people who buy the clothing in my store are usually women between the ages of 40 and 55 who have kids. You know, or something like that. Right. Well, the natural action step to me is go over to Facebook and create a custom audience of women, 40 to 55, who have kids who are within 25 miles of your location because you also saw in Wompley the geographic constraints there and target them on Facebook with an ad to promote your new line of sweaters or whatever, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that whether Wompley actually directly integrated or not down the road, you know, you could take that information pretty easily go into Facebook ads and create a pretty specific, uh, you know, boost for your post or custom audience for your campaign to, to really market in your in your uh, local area. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're uh, directionally, you're spot on with what business owners should be doing. Uh, the not gap it, that but. we need to, to cross there, exactly, and, and, and the gap that they need to cross there is, you know, that you've got a level of sophistication and understanding that most small business owners do not. Right. Uh, you know, most of them got into their business because they're good at, you know, in, in the case of the pizza shop, because they somehow got into a family business and, you know, they're good at that trade, or uh, right. they got into retail and they're running a retail shop. And, you know, most of their day is spent dealing, you know, the 12 hours they spend in that business is, you know, worried about inventory. It's worried about the employees that, you know, may or may not show up for work the next day. They're worried about the customers that are in there. And, you know, they don't have a lot of time to step out and say, okay, how do I go become a marketing expert? And how do I take, you know, data and ultimately figure out, you know, is Facebook the right platform? Is Yelp the right platform? Do I go on Google? You know, I've got limited budget. Where do I go spend that money? And a big part of, you know, our kind of realization over the years has been, you know, we, it, we're asking too much of the small business owner to wear all right. of those hats mm-hmm. and become experts in all those areas. And uh, what we've really, you know, been striving to do with our software is figure out how can we take that burden off of their shoulders? So right. how can we automate that work for them? Um, so we, we do that in some areas that you've outlined here, of like helping them acquire new customers. Uh, we will get into that path later uh, by really driving towards, um, you know, the ability to automatically run all that marketing and, and acquisition targeting and audience building on behalf of the small business owner. Sure. Um, we do it in the area of, you know, reputation management, which, mm-hmm. you know, I would argue is, is probably the single most important area that a business needs to focus on today. Sure. Um, how do they present themselves online to new consumers that are looking for a business in their category? Oh, yeah, definitely. And we'll do everything from make sure that, you know, the information is consistent about their business. So, you know, if I look for a pizza shop or I look for, you know, a sweater shop, am I going to show up under the search under, you know, all of these major sites correctly? That's the first piece. Mm-hmm. The next is, can they get in touch with me? Um, is the contact info right? Are my hours of operation connect uh, correct on there? And that, that's kind of the basic blocking and tackling of the table stakes to even just, you know, begin to be discovered by consumers who only, you know, have been trained to use those platforms to discover businesses they want to transact with. And then from there, it becomes much more of the, how do I you know, manage the interactions I have with consumers through these different platforms where everyone has a voice, uh, there tends to be a bias for more negative activity to surface than positive activity. So right. you know, how do I manage that over time? And you know, how do I ensure that I'm fairly represented across all these different mediums? And you know, what we've done is we've spent time uh, developing our software so that the small business owner doesn't have to complicate their lives in order to figure all of that out. They can essentially hire Wompley software you know, click a button, and then we'll automatically manage that for them. So we can give them back time to go focus on their customers, to go focus sure. on, uh, you know, the employees that they're managing, or you know, maybe get a little bit of time to go, you know, spend time with their family at the end of the day. So now you're you're selling through uh, ISOs and and MLSs, but uh, do you also sell directly to the retailer? We do, um, and that's been something that's been an evolution in our business. Um, so historically. Uh, we only sold in partnership with uh, payment processors. Uh, we realized that you know we were seeing a lot of demand for our software uh, coming from all businesses across America. And so one of the uh, the things that we've developed is the ability to sell our software to any business in America. And you know we've seen a lot of success there where you know retailers can come directly to Wompley uh, and sign up for our software and access our software um, you know directly. So, 
you know, we're able to, you know, support our partners that work with us and help strengthen the value proposition that they have um, for merchant processing. And we're also able to, you know, help businesses at scale, um, you know, across America run their businesses better if they come to us directly. So, Corey, one other just follow up on this. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking from the perspective of, <clears throat> excuse me, the individual rep or the small ISO that's listening right now. And one question they might be asking themselves is, how do you get the data? You know, in other words, right. obviously you're tied in on the back end to these, you know, various acquirers and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about the the breadth of your integration and, you know, how does that work? I, you know, okay, I, I went and sold a merchant. I now want to add Wompley, and Wompley needs to get data. How does how does that work? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've built out, uh, obviously, lots of integrations over the years. Uh, there's uh, been a lot of, you know, uh, investment in designing the technical approach to it, um, understanding the legal and regulatory landscape to uh, ensure that we mapped out everything in, in ways that are compliant. Um, you know, we've designed it in a way that we're not uh, in scope for PCI. Uh, so while Wombly is a PCI level one organization, um, and we've got that, you know, uh, certification for years now where, you know, we've been able to demonstrate that we've got all of the protections as though we had card data. Uh, we've designed our system in a way where we do not um, actually store uh, or receive credit card data. So mm-hmm. that's been, um, you know, very helpful as well uh, because it minimizes risks on all fronts. And, sure. uh, for us, it's been a combination of, uh, you know, spending years and years understanding the payments industry. Uh, a lot of the challenges we highlighted earlier you know, figuring out how we can develop our software in a way that is compelling enough for our partners to, uh, you know, provide the integration points and, you know, uh, connect with Wompley directly uh, so that we can have the data to service those businesses and to jointly, you know, make those relationships stronger. Um, And it's been, you know, it's been a process. It is definitely not something that happened overnight and it's taken a lot of work and a lot of investment to make that happen. But as a result, you know, we've built up a very large data asset on, uh, you know, these millions of businesses that enables us to uh, serve them at, at very large scale. And then where we do not, um, you know, have a relationship with a uh, payment processor or acquirer directly, uh, Wompley will enable businesses that want to use our software uh, to open a merchant uh, processing account uh, to provide the data to Wompley as well. And, you know, that will uh, give us the ability to you know, provide all of our capabilities out to any of those businesses and um, you know, further reinforce the relationships that we have with our partners as well. And do you I, – I, I know you and I have spoken in the past, Corey, and I, my recollection was that you also do work in terms of managing um, online reputations or at least you know, keeping up with what, the, uh, you know, what reviews are and, and giving um, merchants some sort of action plan. Is that, Am I correct in recalling that? Yeah, very much so. So that's spot on. So you know, our value proposition is in three primary areas. Uh, the first is you know, business intelligence, helping them answer the question of, uh, you know, how am I doing and where can I improve? Uh, the second is, you know, focused on online presence and reputation management, which is the soup to nuts of, you know, how do I uh, establish a presence online? What does my presence look like? And then how do I manage that, including all of the responses, um, you know, and, and reputation postings that I get from customers. Right. Uh, and then the third is, you know, moving into the CRM and the marketing automation uh, components that I spoke to earlier, right. which is connecting, you know, our business customers with their consumers and making that a tighter relationship. Um, again, using software and technology to automate uh, those interactions as much as possible and remove that burden from, you know, the shoulders of the, the merchant. Very cool. Awesome. That was, that was really good stuff. It's so if you had somebody that's listening, you know, most of our listeners are either, you know, experienced individual reps who are out in the field selling and they've got a portfolio of, you know, 100, 200 merchants or, you know, it's ISOs that have uh, agents. Um, where would they go to learn more about Wompley? Where would they go to kind of sign up to be able to sell this? What would their next step be if they if they find this interesting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would encourage anyone listening who wants to get out of the, the constant, you know, undercutter pizza game uh, as I was referencing earlier to um, shoot an email into info, I-N-F-O at Wompley, W-O-M-P-L-Y. And we've got a, a great team uh, that can work with you to give you tons of materials that will immediately enable you to become a subject matter expert, uh, you know, with your small business customers today and your prospects that you're working on. 
Um, we've got a lot, a wealth of information on our website as well, Womply.com. Uh, you can go to our blog section where we're putting out all kinds of different data points on trends that we're seeing in small business and you're really uh, giving you know, the industry the tools that they need to uh, make that evolution and that jump from the you know the cost-based conversation into the consultative conversation. Um, but I would encourage you to engage with our team uh, by sending an email in and uh, we'll connect you with uh, a handful of different uh, marketing and, and partner management resources who can uh, help get you equipped to use this in your value proposition and differentiate yourself as you're uh, looking to expand your portfolio as well. And I would highly recommend your blog. I get a lot of insights from that. So, uh, yes. yeah, good stuff. Yeah, good and, stuff. I, and I think one other thing too, just one quick clarification before we're done, Corey, because again, I I really I really like what you guys are doing, and I want to make sure our listeners understand that you know this is not a processing company. It's not like okay, I'm currently selling for this company, and now I'm going to switch over to Womply. It's that you know Womply is integrating with all of these different kind of backend solutions and getting that data, and so you don't have to change mm-hmm. your Right, you don't have to change your sales vendor, but you're, you're you know the ISO you're selling for, but instead you just are out there and now you're selling for the same company, but you're giving a lot more value to the merchants by grabbing that data and yeah, pulling a lot it into more tools. Right, yeah. right, Corey, am I explaining that correct. correctly? Okay. Yep, that, that's correct. So uh, if anyone you know shoots us an email and inbounds into us, we can provide uh, you know the details on exactly how sure. that works. But um, yeah, we're not asking anyone to change you know their behaviors or their relationships. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. This has really been enlightening. I I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, good luck to you. Yeah, I really appreciate the time again. Thanks for having me on, and I look forward to connecting in the near future. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983 always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. There's been some interesting reporting on mobile payments recently that I wanted to share. First up, about mobile wallets. Oriama Consulting, which does a lot of work in this area, reports that Apple Pay is now the go-to wallet for a majority of debit card users. Hmm. More than three-quarters of debit card holders who use mobile wallets link those cards to Apple Pay. Now, Anita Solomon, director of REM's uh, debit management roundtable, suggested that demographics may play a role in this trend. As she noted, Apple users skew younger, and younger consumers are more likely to be debit card users. Hmm. Now, Apple Pay's dominance in terms of wallet share doesn't necessarily translate to more transactions per user, though. Oriama found that Samsung Pay users tend to be more engaged, making an average of 7.3 transactions a month compared to 5.5 uh, for Apple Pay and Google Pay. Huh. Which wow. is a very interesting. That is interesting. Isn't it? I mean, it's almost two whole transactions. Hmm. Yeah, that is. That's interesting. Yeah, so um, she, she suggested, and I, and I think this is very, very possible, that um, the reason could be that Samsung has cast a wider technology net. You know, unlike Apple Pay and Google Pay, which work only with NFC card readers, right? Samsung Pay is also compatible with traditional card readers. Really? Yeah, and that's what most merchants have in place. I wonder how it how does it work with a traditional card reader? Um, I think it's because they're probably um. You know, that's an interesting question. Yeah, well, that we'll is have to follow we'll, up. We're on gonna that have to follow up that. on yeah. that. Yeah, because be originally I was gonna say it. it's a QR code. Oh, and sure. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, yeah. but I, I'd have to go look and at see, my. That, there you go, give it the QR codes. We were talking about that recently in another just, episode because it's like the the uh, QR codes are just so important. I feel like that's a that's something that people get. Yes, they understand that it's, and so, it's simple. so simple. Yeah, it's so simple because yeah. I mean I've seen hmm. people do it where they just pull up their yeah the QR code and, and yep. go I, at I was it. really surprised last time I went through a drive through at Dunkin' Donuts with my wife, and my wife is not the technology person you know right, what i mean right and you know we pull up and i i was gonna pay with my card she's like oh don't pay with your card she hands me her phone with the app pulled up with the qr code i had to scan it on the qr code reader really? and she already has money she's saved already in had there. it saved in there, and she's right? like oh, i get points and i save money and she you know and i'm like oh wow you're you do all that yeah and it's gonna see a qr code if they said hold your phone up here for this nfc i don't know if you ever would have done it or not right exactly but she likes the qr code but she likes the qr so, code go figure and i believe isn't that also how starbucks does it as well I don't know. I'm not a Starbucks. I'm drinker. not a Starbucks person. I don't drink coffee, so You're right, me I, I don't know. But I mean, I know people right. telling me that you sure. know. I see, but anyway. So, so here's the interesting thing. You know, even though wallet, uh, mobile wallet adoption is growing, 
payments are still a very small percent. That's what I was going to ask next. Yeah, according to Oriyama, and their Oriyama, uh, their research, what they did is they surveyed um, card issuers. Okay. Okay. Right. Sure. So they found that just 0.6% of all debit card transactions in the second quarter were mobile. <laughs> I mean, that's nothing. That's, yeah. That's a nit. That's a nit on a nit. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So uh, despite this meager showing, um, Solomon said banks and credit unions remain optimistic about growing mobile adoption. Um, and she noted that, and I think this is an interesting aside as well, um, many regional and smaller banks see Apple, Samsung, and Google Pay as vehicles competing for the big guys like Chase with the, with mm -hmm. the, with the, with the Chase wallet. Um, and in fact, she said that many smaller banks are actually encouraging customers to load Apple, Samsung, or Google Pay onto their mobile devices during the account onboarding process. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I got a, a, the new iPhone 8 Plus recently. Uh-huh. And I mean, there's a pretty strong sell for, for Apple Pay. Like, when you're signing up, you know, it actually says your setup isn't complete yet. Right. Because you didn't add your card. Right. And then every time you go to your settings, there's that little red yes. uh, notification. Yes. And you're like, oh, there must be an update to the software. No. Every time it's, hey, you still haven't added your card to Apple Pay. I had a friend that was complaining to me about that just the other yeah. day. About, yeah, I keep I getting mean, this I, I think they've done a really good job of getting Apple Pay added. Mm -hmm. But what they, you know, and it's interesting to me, you know, th this whole conversation to me is so interesting, Patty, because it just goes to show how difficult it is to break into the small business market mm -hmm. and why ISOs and MLSs are still needed. Yeah. If Apple Pay was giving $50 per merchant that, uh, you know, to the that, ISO that had, you know, X amount of volume on Apple Pay, mm -hmm. they would be skyrocketing through the roof because oh, yeah. we would all be selling it. You have to sell small business owners. Right. They don't care about your fancy YouTube video. They don't care about your Facebook no. ad. No. They you got to come in and say, "Hey, there's this new thing. You should actually do this." And and you're going to make money. And then they have to tell money. the consumer. Yeah, you're going to make money. Right. And then they have to tell the consumer about it. Right. Right now the consumers don't know. I've n I literally have never even been in a business and I have it loaded on my phone. Uh -huh. I I in the last month I haven't even been able to use it because I don't know who accepts it. Well, and not only that, but I, I think I've said, you know, I have yet to see a single, outside of on TV, Right. I have yet to see a single person use their phone right. to make well, a payment. And I think, too, an important aside here, right, is is geogra geography. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. You're in Maryland. I'm right. in central Pennsylvania. Right. We're in the middle of nowhere. Right. right, exactly. I would imagine in Manhattan, probably that 0.6 is probably 3% or 4%, I, right? I, I think you're right. And I think, like, in Manhattan, in San Francisco, right. in L.A., sure. Miami, I don't see it a lot in D.C. where I spend some time, but... Um, yeah, I haven't. I spend time in D.C. and I haven't seen it much there I haven't either. seen Which, it much again, I mean, it's not much, even if it's... Even if it's three percent, you're only seeing it one out of every thirty, forty. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. So it's not like you're going to see it that so much. It's not even, like you're going to see it that much. Right. But you yeah. know, I mean, I go to you know, I go to Baskin Robbins and the sub shops and all that kind of stuff, right. which is where you would expect to of see course. that. Right. Right. In those in those kind of QSR yeah. environments, but um, anyway. So the next up is mobile payments and online ordering. I thought this was a really interesting story. Um. A, company, a, a convenience store chain called N Market. Uh, they're in Georgia, in central okay. Georgia. They've announced a mobile strategy that banks on NCR technology to support not just payments from mobile wallets, but loyalty and marketing tools, and eventually mobile ordering for home delivery. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's gonna that's gonna that happen. is gonna just go through the roof. It is. It's gonna happen. I mean, Amazon is already trying to dominate in that mm -hmm, niche mm -hmm. but you know to me it's where if i would honestly if i was selling merchant services full-time right now today right. i can tell you exactly what i would be selling and i would be selling to business owners a system that would help them to be able to sell their stuff online and then they should go deliver it yeah and because that's Am what, amazon can't do same day delivery no and they're even with their drone idea they're not going to be it's going to take a while it's going right. to take a while and that's what i think is interesting um you know, this guy, they're talking about, they have 123 C-stores okay. and 14 QSRs in Georgia, and they just doubled their size in the last year through acquisitions. Wow. Okay. So it's a perfect opportunity for them to put a new system in place. Sure. You know? Um, so it's rolling out this NCR mobile payment solution to support indoor and outdoor payments using either the traditional, you know, payment cards right. or mobile wallets. Right. 
and it can also support personal and contextualized marketing, loyalty programs, researching products, locating stores, you know, the whole works. Sure. Um, so, and, and, and you know, what I thought was interesting is the president of the company, uh, Brett Geisick, said eventually the chain plans to use the, su- the solutions to support mobile ordering for home delivery, quote, to enhance the customer experience and create a new generation of brand loyalists. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, this is really <laughs> noteworthy because to me it demonstrates the potential <coughs> that really seems to be driving much of the optimism around mobile commerce. Yeah. You know? We're a society of consumers who crave conveniences. Yep, absolutely. You know, food and convenience item deliveries to homes, it's not a far cry from pizza. Right. Right? Right. And mobile apps are just a logical vehicle for addressing this demand for our, you know, busy, connected lifestyles. Yeah. And payments are a necessary part of the equation. You can't do home delivery if people aren't paying you. And if you don't have it all in one system, then you're just redoubling your efforts. You're, yeah. you're you're setting yourself up for all kinds of problems. Right. Um, you so know, I, I feel like you, you just can't overemphasize the importance of the mobile phone. No. You know, I mean, in our society, the mobile phone is the operating system of human beings. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's it's, it's that, you know, your mobile phone. I can't, who I was listening to, uh, somebody I was listening to recently, and he said that he would rather be, what did he say? He'd rather be stabbed and left in the street for dead than have somebody steal his phone. <laughs> because he's like, if I lose my phone, like, I don't know, what am I going to do? I can't call an Uber. I can't go anywhere. I can't call anybody. I can't do anything. I can't pay for anything. Um, can't find any of my friends. Right. You know, and so I think, you know, I think the important thing here is for, you know, uh, MLSs and, you know, ISOs as well as merchants to think about. How does the phone play into their business right now? What are they doing to, to maximize the effectiveness of the phone? Yeah, and I think that you know they have to be open to the fact that that is a fluid situation. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and I mean mobile payments. You know, it's it's, it's such an interesting aside because I think this insider's report put one thing that to me is not that important right now, which is these in-store mobile payments like right. Apple Pay and stuff. Where it's and I've said that before. It's just. You know, and I said it when it came out. I have a video. I should. One of these I'm going to post on my videos from way back. Mm-hmm. Everybody was so excited about Apple Pay. Remember when? Yeah, remember right? when I did a video and said this is not going to be a big thing. No, for a long time. I said the same thing. It's just, it's not. Like, and and the reason is because it's not more convenient. No. Right. I mean, and and again, I go to the Starbucks thing. I had a friend who was telling me he's like, you know, I said because he's a coffee drinker, right? right? And he's like, oh, I go to Starbucks every day. I said, so do you use their mobile app? And he's like, oh no. <laughs> he's like, why? He said, because I have to take out my phone. Have to pull up the app. Right. I have to, you know, right. bring up the co- the the QR code. He goes, yep. It's a lot easier to just reach in my pocket and pull out my mm-hmm. wallet. And you know, the other thing too is, I think one of the other things really driving this, and this is a, such a good story you mentioned about this business because it's also incumbent upon the business to put an emphasis on the mobile strategy. Yes. A, a good example is uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Again, I don't know why I keep talking about them, but um, I went in to get something from them a, a little while ago, and I needed to get something for the school that I volunteer at. Um, my wife was like, hey, you should get coffee for all the teachers today. You know, I was like, okay. National Teacher's Day or something, right? right? something yeah. like that. Sure, right. whatever, let's do it. So I said, well, I, I don't know what kind of coffee they want. Oh, she said, I'll go on the mo- mobile app, and I've seen that I can order it, and then I'll order it all, and then you just go through drive through and you just pick it up. Oh, nice. I'm like, well, that's amazing, right? Right. Well, until I got there, and I was on a schedule, and they never even got the order that she submitted. Oh, no. And they finally, after talking to me for five minutes, realized, oh, here it is over on this screen that we never look at. Okay, give us a half hour, you know. No, thank you. You just lost $100 worth of coffee sales, you know what I mean? And so I think, you know, it's really incumbent upon the business to, even though there's not a ton of business initially, Mm -hmm. you roll out your amazing mobile strategy and two customers use it, those two customers have to receive such an amazing experience, they tell all their friends. They're going to tell everybody about it. Because, you know, it's interesting. I was in a hotel about a year ago. It's late. I want a pizza. Right. Right? So I take out my mobile. I figure, Pizza Hut, they... Right, right. They have a mobile app. They sure. have a mobile app. I'm gonna just. It took me so long to order the pizza. Right, right, because I had to go through all of these screens. Yes. I had to pick this and pick that, and right. and then they said, "Okay, your pizza will be delivered in three hours." I'm like, "No three way!" Three hours. Right. So I called up the. So right. I, you know, I I canceled it. I called up the the Pizza Hut, right. and I said. What is this? You know, you told me three hours. She goes, three hours, we're not going to even be open. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm on the phone with you. What in the but world? Yeah. After that, there's that disconnect. That was it. You're never going to use the pizza I'm never, mobile app I've again. I've never used that app since. Right, right. Yeah. So, mobile is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think Seeing it's, how, it's it, how it evolves in the payment space. And it's just going to keep evolving. And I think yeah. the opportunities are just 
in- incredible. I don't think there's an end in sight for the no. opportunities. No, I agree. Great episode. Good information. Thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, I got a really interesting uh, question from an ISO client of mine recently. Okay. Um, They said, uh, I think I'm roughly quoting the question, which was, how do we hold 1099 agents accountable without holding them accountable? Because they're 1099, right? Right. Can't hold them accountable. And I love this question. I think it has so many different implications. And, you know, what I told them is I said, you can hold them accountable the same way that you can hold somebody accountable that's coming to fix your roof. And they're like... Oh, I said, think about it. I said, if somebody was coming to fix your roof, I said, you know, they're an independent contractor, clearly. You know, this is a totally separate, you know, company and everything. They're an independent contractor. And I said, you know, could you tell them what kind of shingles you wanted? Yes. Could you tell them the time frame, all this stuff? I said, the key thing is not the level of accountability, but who is agreeing to it. Mm-hmm. You can't force. And that force... there is an agreement, right? Right. There is an agreement. You can't force a 1099 contractor to go to 20 businesses a day, but you can make a contract ahead of time with them to say, we have a contract we'd like to fulfill. It's going to be a one month agreement. We would like you to go into 20 businesses a day and deliver the, this, you know, marketing piece to these businesses and, you know, do these certain things. And, you know, here's the script that we want to use. You're not forcing them to do it. You're asking them, would you like to accept this contract? Right. With this timeline and and these, and these restrictions, and, right? And these payments, and of course. Payments. Here's what you're going to get paid to do it. So I think you know. I think the key thing here is, you know, the management style for 1099 contractors uh, really throws off a lot of ISOs because they come from the W-2 world, mm-hmm. and they're very used to their position. Um, you know, their position is what's creating their influence, and that's very weak leadership. You know, right. you're you're just, well, I'm the manager. Right. You know, look. Let me tell you something. If you're a manager, this goes for all of you, W-2, 1099. Um, I've managed thousands of reps. If you're a manager and you use the phrase, I'm the manager or I'm the boss ever, you are a terrible, terrible leader. That's the worst possible thing you could say. Because if your position and your title is what's allowing you to lead these people, then you're not really leading them at all. You're dragging them. It's yeah, different. Sort of, it reminds me of, you know, when I vote, whenever I've supervised people, it's I've always had this sort of basic rule. I never ask anybody to do something I wouldn't do myself. Right. Exactly. You know? you know, and it's like, you know, even my employees that are here, I mean, you could ask any of them here in our Chicago office and say, has James ever said to you, you know, well, I'm the owner of the company and I'll tell you what. Right. Never. You know why? Because my employees respect me. Right. And they I've communicated to them what the vision is and what we're trying to accomplish and what the expectations are and where we communicate. Mm-hmm. And so we just talk about stuff, you know. And so I think in the same way with 1099, you have to be even more that way with them because they don't have to work for you. Right. They don't have to do what you tell them right. to do, you know. So what you have to do is you have to have that respect. And so the way you do that is with clear communication and spending a lot of time up front to say, what are you going to do? And I'll tell you another really great tip that I, I shared with this ISO, and that is when you're managing 1099 uh, salespeople especially, um, ask them to set their own goals. Mm-hmm. You will learn so much about that agent because one of two things is always going to happen. Either number one, 85% of the time what's going to happen, number one, is they're going to set goals that are unrealistically high. Right. Not low. Of course. You know, high. Of course. Okay. The other 15% of the time, they're going to set at, you know, numbers that where you're like, those are unacceptable. And then guess what? Don't work with them. Right. 
they're a loser. Right. If you have a salesperson that doesn't overpromise, then you know that's just not a salesperson. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what the whole they do. Of, of sales is being you know aggressive, aggressive and, and, and courageous and, and, and tenacious, and you know you're so they're gonna promise. And then what you got to do though, this is the this is the the two keys that people don't get. Sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, we do that. We have goal setting, you know, conference calls or whatever, right? Get them to set goals because now they're 1099 contractors. They're setting a goal, but the next two steps are the ones that really matter. First convert those goals into action steps, mm -hmm. help them, guide them through. Don't tell them when they say, well, I'm going to get 20 sales next month. Don't say, so that means you're going to walk into 50 businesses a day, blah, blah. No, no, no. You got to walk them through it and say, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that how for a second. Gonna do this? Yeah. How are we going to do this? So what's your closing ratio of people that you send a proposal to last month? You did 10 deals. How many proposals did you send out? 30. Okay. So we know you're closing at 33%. So you want to sell 20, so that means you're going to have to send out 66 proposals this month, right? Or 60 in this case. you got to send out 60 proposals. So you have to send out 60. So last month you sent out 30 proposals. How many contacts did you make to make that happen? Well, I made 100, okay? So that means you're going to have to make 200. Mm -hmm. How many doors did you walk into or how many calls did you make to get that? So once you get it all the way down to pure effort... Right. So this means, so am I, am I correct, John? It, it sounds like the goal you have, it sounds like to achieve that goal, would you agree that what you're really saying is you're going to walk into 30 businesses a day or you're going to call X number of people. You're going to talk to this many people, get it down to a number like that, a simple, completely effort-based number, a number that's not determined by talent. It's only determined by character. And what? by experience, I would imagine, as well. Right? Well, a little bit, but really, even I mean, an experienced person can walk into 30 businesses or sure. call 40 people, right? Right, right. So, so, you know, you have the talent equation, but then if you, if you break it down to the effort, then the next thing you've got to do is track their performance in the most public way possible. Mm -hmm. The way to get accountability with 1099 contractors is group accountability. Right. Set up a, a, you know, there's so many shareable software things now, CRM, just almost every CRM system out there has some kind of a live feed or whatever. Have people post their goals and uh, again, get their goals down to effort and then post their effort. Right. Every day they log in and they say, I walked into 18 businesses today. Well, guess what? Somebody's going to see that and they already walked into 17 and they're going to go gonna to three more. You. Because they want to say they walked into 20, right? right. And what's going to happen the next day? Well, then it, so it's that, that group accountability is really what can drive uh, 1099 contractors, you know, nuts out in the field of like, oh, I got to do better. I've got to do better. And again, if you tie it to effort rather than to sales, this is mm -hmm. the, the other thing. I've seen leaderboards. All, I, I was just going to leaderboards. Bring that up. leaderboards. But exactly. you know what leaderboards always have, which drives me crazy? There's, they only have one thing on them ever. Right. Sales. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice, but you know, it's easy to have a good week, right? If all you have is sales, the one thing I found is if all you track and promote is sales, you're going to have two types of reps. You're going to have reps who are artificially uh, excited mm -hmm. because they happen to have a lucky week. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have reps that are unnecessarily depressed because they happen to be having a bad week. Right. Those things don't matter. What matters is effort. So if you're continuously doing the sales training and all that, what really is going to matter over time is their effort. How much prospecting are they doing? Mm -hmm. So make that your leaderboard. Make your leaderboard based around effort and showcase that and promote the person who's working hard. Of course, we want to talk about sales, but we like to talk about sales monthly, not daily. Right. I don't want to know, you know, if I have a, a team of 30 people, I don't, you know, again, if I made two sales today, that was lucky. I'm, I'm a merchant sales rep. That was lucky. Right. I've had days where I made three or four sales. But I didn't make three or four sales every day. Mm -hmm. That was just a lucky day. Well, I shouldn't be rewarded because I had a lucky day. Right. And likewise, if I'm having a tough week, but I'm still pounding the pavement, how discouraging is it going to be for me to see that I'm falling behind the mm -hmm. whole team because I don't have any sales yet? Mm -hmm. So instead, do your sales and the results. Look at those numbers monthly where time, time allows right. things to level out. Right. Daily, look at what can be controlled daily, and that's effort. Excellent. That's Excellent. my advice on dealing with 1099s. Good advice. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.